Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peterson. And this is episode 104 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this episode 104, or 104, depending upon how you'd like to say it, we are going to be kind of continuing our conversation on reference questions uh, from our uh, the previous episode's deep dive. Basically, everything you've ever wanted to know about reference questions, but were afraid to ask. Uh, we're going to talk about this in part two, which, you know, is we're probably going to be entering into a little bit more esoteric philosophy uh, around a few ideas, but I think it's pretty important philosophy. Uh, it's stuff that Scott and I and others debate you know, to no end, but I think it's important stuff to consider. Uh, but before we head to that direction, I want to talk a little bit about the new upcoming 2021-2022 season for Pacific Northwest uh, Bible Quizzing. In particular, our first meet of the year, well, the first preseason meet, the only preseason meet. Um, I, I tend to refer to it as a preseason meet because it is not something that gets scored uh, for, you know, like your, your year to averages, either for team or individuals or so forth. And that is the scramble meet. So the scramble meet is coming up. It is only, I don't know, it's less than a week away. It's six days away. It's on Saturday, the 25th. It's going to be at Alliance Bible Church in Covington or ABC, as it is affectionately known in PNW. And uh, we're going to be doing something a little bit different than normal. Actually, <laughs> we're going to do a lot of things different than normal. Uh, probably the biggest different thing that you're going to notice is that we are not meeting inside. We are going to be meeting outside uh, because we've got, uh, you know, anti-virus uh, measures uh, and policies and so forth that we need to comply with. And so we are going to be meeting outside. Uh, in a couple of uh, different spots around the campus, so to speak, of ABC, which is actually a fairly decent sized uh, property. Uh, there's a sort of a front yard area off to the side. There's a, a large backyard area. And I'm not sure how, you know, Kim and Craig have structured things, but there's going to be uh, either two, possibly three rooms. And I'm making air quote symbols right now with my fingers. They're not really rooms. They're sort of spaces. Actually, that's probably what I should call them. We'll call them space number one and space number two or something like that. And we'll have, uh, you know, a, a, a officials table and chairs set up and so forth and benches and all that kind of stuff. Um, so anyway, it's going to be outside. Um, you will have the option if you so choose of going inside the building to use their facilities. Uh, if you would like to, uh, bathrooms and drinking fountain and fountains and so forth, but you must, must, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm really tired. So let's see if I can pronounce the word must. You must wear a mask when you walk into the building and for all times that you are in the building, you need to wear that mask and then uh, uh, on, uh, until you're on your way out. There's a couple other things that are going to be a little bit different um, about the scramble meet here. We're going to do something, uh, we're going to basically not do workshops. Uh, there's, they're going to be untenable in this sort of the space one space two universe we are going to have um more individual uh the teams get to self-organize basically self-scramble so you get to decide who you want to compete with and it can be people from your own team uh your own church it could be people from you know different ministry organizations you can get adults involved you can get your parents involved if you show if if you're able to convince them to do that you can get your coach to quiz which you should you should try to get your coach to get involved uh, but teams uh, are going to self-organize and there's certain incentives to build diversity into those teams uh, based on some scoring alter alterations but again like you're free to do whatever you want. It's more that if you happen to do these things in how you organize your team, then you get certain bonus uh, uh, perks. So teams will receive a plus 20 score every, uh, for every quiz, just like the normal you know 20 points that you get. You'll get an additional 20 points for every quiz for each of the following uh, teams that have quizzers from at least two churches, you'll get that teams with at least one rookie that's not uh, a, a non-adult rookie. So if it's a if it's somebody who's never quizzed before, but they're an adult, that, that doesn't count. Um, and or teams that have at least one adult who did not quiz as a youth. If you put that together, you'll get, you know, point bonuses there. Third quizzer bonuses are worth uh, plus 20 instead of plus 10. And fourth quizzer bonuses are are worth plus 40, not plus 10. So that gives you a lot of incentive to try to build 
a comprehensive team uh, if you can. Uh, quizzers are going to be given ID sheets where they're going to record their name church, whether they're a rookie, non-adult rookie, or an adult without quizzing experience. And then uh, quizzers... Uh, and of course, what does a quizzer mean in the context of scramble here? It means whoever is deciding to quiz, right? So it, it's not necessarily youth. Um, everybody gets 20 minutes to self-organize into teams. And then once forms, uh, once formed, teams fill out roster sheets and hand them to me and we'll get things underway. Also, officials, um, you will, uh, anybody who is not normally an official, uh, typically you'll have an, uh, there are opportunities for you to experiment with being an official. So quiz masters, any adult or any quizzer in their senior year uh, may uh, volunteer to be a quiz master. You're not going to be a quiz master for like the entire uh, uh, meet. It, I, I think we're probably going to do something like two quizzes per volunteer. Uh, it might be a little bit more depending on the number of volunteers. We're just going to kind of play that by ear. But if you are an adult or a quizzer in your senior year, you can opt to be a quiz master or volunteer to be a quiz master for a couple of quizzes. Anyone uh, is allowed to uh, opt to be a scorekeeper for a couple of quizzes. Um, and then we are asking answer judges if anybody has quiz mastering experience, uh, either in PNW or somewhere else, we'd like to ask you to consider being an answer judge because, you know, we're going to have quiz masters here who may not have any quiz mastering experience. So we want to have answer judges available to them who have quiz mastering experience to be able to help them out. All right. So there's also going to be, um, there's about an hour and a half break in the middle of the day for lunch. Um, lunch is not provided by ABC. So you're going to need to uh, plan on driving into town and, and ordering food or bringing, you know, a sack lunch or whatever you want to do for your team. Uh, there will be a short leadership meeting toward the end of that lunch period. Um, probably not terribly long, probably about the last 15 to 20 minutes of that lunch period. So there is that. So that all the festivities start at ABC at eight o'clock in the morning on Saturday, uh, dress in layers because it's going to be a little bit chilly in the morning and then it's going to get warmer toward the afternoon and we are going to be outside. So please dress appropriately for, you know, weather conditions where, you know, it, it's probably not going to rain looking at the forecast, but it is going to be chilly in the morning and warmer in the afternoon. So take that into consideration. All right. So with all that said, let's, uh, let's take a pivot over to part two of reference questions. So Scott, um, why don't you take this away and kind of walk us through some of the our topics on reference questions here? Yeah, so a very quick recap from episode 103 where we started talking about reference questions. We kind of went right from the beginning. Like, what are they? Um, kind of what's the point of them? How are they different from other question types? Um, how they're structurally different and that a quizzer has to provide a question, which I believe is unlike any other type. How to best answer reference questions strategically, how to prepare for them, and then some rule book history on the slight changes in rules around reference questions. So if you haven't listened to episode 103, that would be a great episode to listen to. But here in this episode, we're going to continue. So we're going to go right into um, a deep dive on writing reference questions. And this is not uh, a best practice. So in some past episodes, Griffin and I have just sat down and written questions as they arise. Um, well, not written questions. We went through a chapter. Did we go through James 1? Yeah, I think we did. So that's also in our back catalog. If you want to go just hear us take a verse and write questions from it. Um, but here we're talking specifically around reference questions. And the first thing I wanted to talk about is how it is much easier to write a valid and good chapter reference question than it is to write a valid and good chapter verse reference question. And how do I say that? I think the reason for this is there's a lot more words that are, so single words that are chapter, chapter key words, meaning they appear only once in the chapter, but they appear somewhere else in the material that, that lend themselves to good reference questions. Then there are single words that appear more than once in the chapter that lend themselves to being good chapter verse reference questions. So I would say a much higher proportion of chapter references are one word questions. So I'm, when I say one word, I mean one word plus the inserted interrogative word. So relatively 
a higher proportion of chapter reference questions are one word questions um, compared to chapter verse reference questions. Would you agree with that, Griffin? Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, I think with CVRs, you can usually find CVRs that are, say, two or three words that are decently good, but finding a one-word CVR is like a he what or they what, and I mean, it's technically valid, but kind of icky. Right, like a lot of times it, it it is an adjective, you know, like good what or um, a noun, what man. And those are probably your best forms of one-word chapter-verse-reference questions. But I think in general, people are looking to – question writers are looking to write chapter-verse-references on more than a single word for whatever reason. And so there's just less of them that that meet these not super objective and written-down standards of good. But because of that, it has big implications for what types get asked because in the rule book it specifies minimums and maximums for reference questions but not for specifically chapter references or specifically chapter verse references and as we've talked about many times question sets should be ge- question question sets for a specific quiz should be generated randomly and so if you are doing this over the course of a season the proportions of reference questions that get asked to quizzers should reflect the proportions of those questions written. Um, so within reference questions, if 80% of your written reference questions are chapter references, you would expect that 80% of the questions that get asked to quizzers are also chapter reference questions. Um, and I think, I mean, I don't really like that reality because in my mind i just want half of the asked reference questions to be chapter references roughly speaking half to be chapter references and half to be chapter verse references and it could be that in a given quiz all four reference questions are chapter references and in the next one all four are chapter verse references but over the course of a meet or a season they kind of even out um but that's not going to be the case if someone just sits down, and I'm saying blindly in a good way, if someone just sits down and blindly writes every good reference question that they come across. Because I think if they did that, um, the vast majority of them would be chapter. Any thoughts? Um, I don't know if I agree with the very last part. I don't know that they would. the vast majority would be chapter references, but I do agree that it's going to be skewed, right? Um, it's going to definitely be skewed uh, in terms of like whatever the material, like, like uh, I should take a step back, like going back to something that we've said many, many uh, episodes ago, I believe, and I think you do as well, but correct me if, if you don't. Um, I believe that the best way to write a question is to start with the material um, and take only into account the, the the material, the context of the material. So that can be the entire material for the year too, right? But but certainly the the verse or verses that you're drawing a question from, and then look for what are the best questions that I can write for that particular material, utterly completely ignoring what other questions exist or will exist for other verses in the material. The idea being that like, you're trying to figure out what, if I can, is there a good interrogative here? What are the best interrogatives here? What are the best chapter reference questions? What are the best chapter verse reference questions, right? And and you write as many of those as you can find above a certain quality bar, right? And granted that quality bar is subjective, but and thus I don't like it. But the idea being that like you're trying to evoke questions based on the material, like a sculptor carving out, uh, you know, a sculpture from a block of marble, right? Um, that's sort of the, the, if you do that, then you're going to end up with a certain amount of CRs and CVRs that are not in equal proportion, very likely, right? I mean, I suppose they could be, but very unlikely they're going to be uh, they're going to be out of proportion and therefore in a universe where you're randomly picking a reference question the probability of picking say a cr versus cvr is going to be based on the set creation i don't know that that's such a good thing i think i i could be convinced that that is a, a good thing and an appropriate thing but i i like both the cr and the cvr question type and I feel like they test different things for different reasons enough that I want to see both of them somewhat equally represented in a quiz and maybe not exactly equally. I I mean, we can argue about maybe CRs should be overrepresented in a, in a single quiz more than CVRs. I, I don't, 
I don't know, maybe by a little bit, not tremendously, but they, they, I definitely want to avoid a situation where there are only, let's say CRs and no CVRs in a quiz or vice versa. Right. Um, and so like to prevent that, we essentially have to create a rule that separates the CR from the CVR and actually put minimums and maximums around it or add some sort of rule uh, that says, you know, CRCVRs are balanced in some particular way or something like that. A um, lot of debate can happen around that. But anyway, th- are you in alignment with that generally, or do you take a different point of view? No, no, I'm in alignment with that. I think what it comes down to is among the question types that are defined in the rule book for question type minimums and maximums. So I think it's just interrogative, multiple answer, reference, finish, quote, and situation. So there's just six of them. Among those, some of them have subtypes, right? Um, Interrogative, multiple answer, and situation do not, but the other three do. And among those subtypes, reference questions is really the only one where we think of the types as actually kind of being different in, I guess, what it takes to get them right or prepare for them, whereas we think of all the subtypes of finished questions and quote questions very similarly. So we don't have a problem that, um, you know, most of my finished questions are going to be finished the verses, and hardly any are going to be finished this and the next. We're totally fine with that because they're both testing basically the same thing. But I think we think chapter references and chapter verse references test different enough things that we wish that they weren't governed by a single type for minimums and maximums, which, in, which means that the written proportions get translated into the asked proportions. Right. Yeah, indeed. And we'd love your thoughts on that. If you have um, opinions on if CRs and CVRs are really similar or really not similar or if they should have their own types or if they have their own types, what the minimums and maximums should be. Because is it three to five right now? Um, but if they were split, you can't divide three and five into whole, you know whole numbers. So you'd have to make some decisions. Um, so that's one. Three, three to six okay. in situation years, but yeah. So... We're pretty cramped if you add up the minimums. Um, So you kind of have to pick either CRs and CBRs are both a minimum of one or both a minimum of two. And I think a minimum of two might be problematic just logistically. Um, Another thing on writing reference questions. So let's talk about structure of the question ideals. Uh, And specifically, I'm talking about the leading interrogative. And the specific situation... I'm sure there's a grammar name for this, but I don't know enough grammar to say. So let's say um, the question is, well, let's not do that one. That's problematic. Let's do um, the word of God. You can write, assuming that all of the questions I'm about to propose are valid as chapter verse references, but some people may prefer to write what word, and some people may prefer to write the word of whom. And both might be equally valid um, and probably not exactly the same level of good. And I know which one. I prefer, but do you have thoughts both on which one you prefer, but also why and to what level should other people do the same thing? I don't think I do. Um, I don't think I do, at least yet, Um, but you might evoke something, an opinion from me in the course of the conversation. I did actually, while you were talking, I did look up the reference minimums and maximums because I felt like three to five seemed wrong. Uh, My spidey sense was tingling, so I looked it up. Um, It's actually three to six uh, or three to seven. So it's three to six in a situation year and three to seven in a non-situation year. Gotcha. So I generally don't like the, the construct. So when it's the word of, so the noun of noun, if possible, I just write to write the question, the noun of what? So in this case, the word of what or the word of whom and not what word, because to me, that's awkward. Um, there's a phrase that's inexpressible and glorious joy, and we will definitely write the chapter verse reference multiple answer, uh, what joy. But if you said that to, um, someone who doesn't know quizzing, they would think of it as just very stilted and awkward. You know, they would, if you were talking to someone and asking that question, you would say, what kind of joy? But in quizzing, we're not allowed to put in more than one word. And so we have to truncate it to what joy, which is not grammatically how you would speak unless you were forced to, right? Which is what we're forced to do in this case. And so because of that, unless I'm forced to write that kind of construct, I will just not do it. Um, To me, this is very different from writing 
a leading interrogative question like who created the heavens and the earth. Um, that's not awkward at all. It's very clear. But when it kind of comes to these shorter constructs where there's not a verb involved, um, I really like to decide on the, the word of whom or the shadow of what rather than lead with the interrogative word. Did I evoke anything? Well, I mean, I, I generally like questions that flow a little bit better than I like questions that don't flow, but I don't necessarily feel the, the need to include the verb, I think, as strongly as you do. Um, I think, you know, like inexpressible joy, if somebody said, like, I have inexpressible joy, inexpressible is typically not something that somebody expresses because it's inexpressible. But if somebody says, I have inexpressible joy, I might actually ask what joy as in like, like I didn't hear your word. So I might actually say what joy. Um, and then they say inexpressible joy. And I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. Cause you just expressed it. Um, but the, so to me, like, like that formulation doesn't feel, I think is stilted as I think maybe it feels to you, but that said, I do not disagree with the larger philosophy of like writing questions that are not as stilted over uh, like, like I, I agree with the philosophy of, of striving to write less stilted questions. How's that? Right. Um, I'm trying to think of a good example for this next one. So this next one is split multiple answers. So in reference, and I'm thinking very specifically of chapter verse reference, multiple answers. There are, many occurrences of a phrase or a word occurring more than once in a verse, and then we use it as the basis for a multiple answer, even though the two answers really don't have a lot to do with each other. Um, I'm reminded of a verse in Hebrews, and I think Hebrews 9, where it says, the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifers sprinkled and keeps going. And then later in the verse, it says, the blood of Christ. And so... Um, Someone may write the question, the blood of what, the blood of whom, or what blood, as a multiple answer that covers both of the answers, um, bulls and goats, and Christ. And I think, in general, when it is a reference multiple answer, question writers, and myself included, are more willing to write these split multiple answer, or another way to describe it is really just split phrase, right? Because the questions are not contiguous either um or the two occurrences that are the basis of your question people are more willing to write this when it is a reference multiple answer than when it is just a non-reference multiple answer would you agree yeah. with that yeah I, I think that's generally true i generally don't like split multiple answers um whether they are pure multiple answer or multiple answer reference questions uh just because i i feel like it's they're completely valid. They're completely reasonable. I just don't like them. And I can't really articulate why. Um, I just, I like the simplicity and the straightforwardness of, I ask a question, assuming as a quiz master, I can actually say the entire question, but let's say nobody jumps. Uh, and there's like two or three seconds um, after I complete the question before somebody jumps, like I'm saying a question, somebody jumps and answers and their answer replaces the interrogative uh to complete the a, a phrase right like to me that's that's clean it's elegant it's straightforward um however split multiple answers are totally valid and happen all the time so like you were looking for an example this is this is a pure multiple answer but like from james uh 119 slow to what it's slow to speak and slow to become angry we would say slow to what and we're asking for speak and become angry right and of course not with the and in, be, in between speak become angry now granted if i say slow to what and somebody just says slow to speak and slow to become angry great, they're correct. Um, it's not like you have to omit words, right? Um, but to me, it's like, that just feels awkward to me. Um, and I can't really articulate why. Um, I just, there's something that I like about the elegance of just replace the interrogative word with the answer and you get it correct. Right. And so this is another place where I would love feedback because Split multiple answers, both of the reference and non-reference varieties, are readily accepted as not just valid, but very clear and expected by the general quizzing community. But I, I'm curious, are there people who 
either when they were new to the quizzing community or if they are new right now, like, are they confusing to you? Um, could you think of a better way to, const- not, I guess, not construct questions for this, but like, do you think we shouldn't have them, you know? Um, because there are other cases where question and answer material is not contiguous, right? Whether it's clarifying pronouns or situation questions, you know, split multiple answers is not the only case where you can just answer this, this contiguous thing, right? Um, and I'm, I'm curious because I think these things are clear enough. I don't know if I would say that they're abundantly clear of a question construct, but I want to know if people have found them not clear because that would be very interesting. Yeah, indeed. I mean, it's, to me, it's more, I, I don't know, frustrating is not the, not the right word. It's more uncomfortable as a question writer and quiz master than it is, I think, as a quizzer, right? Because if somebody says slow to what as a quizzer, like you just say the rest of the verse, like, like it, it is, it is slow to what is, is extraordinarily not confusing. It's extraordinarily clear. It's extraordinarily straightforward. If you've memorized verse 19, you're going to get it correct. Like, like you can't not get that correct kind of stuff, unless, I mean, outside of normal, incorrect, you know, parameters, uh, kind of thing. It's more that as a question writer, it kind of grates on me. And as a quiz master, it grates on me. And again, for the, the simple reason of just like, I really just want to speak and slow to become angry to be the answer. But then it's like, well, I could make that the answer, but does slow then become required to say if I've already said it? And I think, no, the answer is not. Really, Only I, I only need to speak and to be... Well, actually, no, because two was already in the question. So I really only need speak and become angry um, to be the the response. So... Yeah, I'm 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 sort of in this sort of yeah, I see where it is. I agree that it should be the way it is, but I still don't like it. Right. I'm going to give you an example of a split multiple answer that I'm making up for my version of uh 1 Corinthians 13 that I'm pretty sure is valid, but I want your opinion on if, if it's good. So let's say this hypothetical created verse says, "Love is patient, love is kind, and if you are the person who does these things, um wait, and if you do these things, you are the type of person whose love is acceptable. So at the end there, I put another phrase that has love is. Right. So you could ask the question, love is what? Patient, kind, and then acceptable. But the construct of that last love is is very different, right, from the first two. Right. Um, yeah. And what it, are your and thoughts it, on it, that sort and, of thing? And the meaning of it, right, you're exactly right. Like, this is a great example. So – like that, that kind of question would infuriate me as well, infuriates maybe too strong. It would deeply annoy me as a writer and as a quiz master, but it is absolutely valid. It is a good multiple answer question. Like, like it definitely causes, like it, 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 it challenges the quizzer to, to know the material, right? It, it tests memorization of the material, right? So like in all respects, it is a good multiple answer question, but I still feel icky about it because like, to me, it's like that third part doesn't belong, but it really must belong. And if it didn't, if it wasn't included, if you only put the first two loves in there, um, as a writer, I would accept a challenge that it, the the question was invalid because it really does need that third one included. But right, I'm I'm sitting here <laughs> going because of the requirement of the split. I I'm super uncomfortable with it. I was just going to bring that up that I would I would choose to not include that third one. Interesting. How would you how would you justify that though? Where does it say I'm required to? Okay, so interesting. So if there is a multiple I, I can, answer... I can, write a, I can write a multiple answer on the fruit of the Spirit where I require N minus one of the fruits of the Spirit. I think that's 100% valid. Yeah, that, okay, okay. Yes, that is 100% ba- valid. Uh, that's true. But doesn't that make your skin crawl? To me, that, that feels like an... In, that, that feels to me like a rule book bug, not something that should be the way it is. No, I mean... I see where you're coming from, and I don't disagree, and I would feel icky if I did that scenario where I just talked about and write all but one of the fruits of the Spirit into the answer. But I think – and I would be fine with an explicit rule saying that, like, every possible answer must be included. But there are so many places – I mean, 
I know what you're going to reply because I'm going to say there are so many places where the question writer gets to decide how long they want the question and answer to be. And you would just say that you want more objectivity whenever possible, right? You are correct. But, but like besides the, the length of how long the quotation of a situation question can go or I can't write to finish these two on more than two verses, you know, you can kind of just write questions of any length, right? Either the question or the answer. Um, and it's not really governed. Um, and so, I don't know. To me, this falls under falls under it where I cannot recall of a situation where a question writer didn't write all of the possible answers to a multiple answer that I was expecting. But I think in this hypothetical 1 Corinthians 13 verse that I made up, I think that's a great opportunity to just not write that last one. Yeah. I, I, I mean, all of that is fair. Um and I'm not necessarily advocating that we create a rule around this per se. I mean, it, this feels much more best practicey. Um, sure. I don't. I don't feel like this. None of this really rises to the level of like I hate it so much that I want it. I want to kill it. But I still really don't like split multiple answers. Right. I I do think that in the case of a reference multiple answer, you could argue that it's misleading if the quizzer is prompted to provide their question and they're like, but I haven't given a possible answer. So it probably can't be this question. You know, like, I think that would be a reasonable conclusion for the quizzer, even if it's not technically rulebook supported. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it would be interesting. I would have to, what would be the harm in, in, implementing a rule that said split answers are not acceptable. Like you can still do, you can still do pronoun clarification. You can still do answers to situations that are, that are obviously not contiguous and so forth. But in terms of like, you know, interrogatives, multiple answers, reference questions, we're basically saying the answer has to be, the answer itself, excluding pronoun clarifications must be contiguous. What would be the the harm in that. I mean, it basically eliminates certain kinds of questions, right? Right. I, I do think it would actually be pretty problematic to try to craft wording around that. Cause in the case of your slow to what, where it occurs twice, um, sure. The two answers are not contiguous, but um, yeah, I, I feel like there would be lots of issues much like we've seen with the, if the question is not answered, um, right. type of rule where it was intended to apply to purely a multiple answer with a po- with at least one and at least one at least one positive answer and at least one negative answer, but specifically by negative answer with a not in it. <laughs> but because of the way it's written, it has to be applied to all question types, and we're left to interpret what it means if the question is not answered, which gets you into all sorts of scenarios where you know the Bible verse is talking about like a hypothetical or something in the future. Or like an if clause that hasn't happened yet, right? Um, and that wasn't the intention that there would be all these problems. But I think you could have something similar with split multiple answers, especially like in that slow to what. Well, the question text is the exact same. It just appears twice. So you can't say that one is not the other. But the, the two answers are not contiguous to each other. But they are both contiguous to the question text. And I don't know. I think it, it could be confusing to people, both to write the question and then to interpret what it what it means or what it should mean. Sure. What if you just said, like, slow to what is the question and the answer must include all conjoining words, right? Like, so in other words, you say, like, split multiple answers can still be written, but we will explicitly require all the, you know, words in between them or something like that, right? So you would say, like, slow to what is the question and right slow to what is the question and the answer must be speak and slow to become angry um i think that that could be fine um yeah i don't think i have a big problem with that you might like in that question that i brought up from hebrews the blood of bulls and goats and the blood of christ those are pretty far apart in the verse um and it could theoretically be confusing to a quizzer who has quoted the whole verse, but not it didn't quite quote something in the middle correctly, unrelated to the blood of. And they right, need to right. correct that. And they say this like seemingly disjointed phrase. And as soon as they correct it, they are prompted, what is your question? But I think because there would be this rule, this reference quizzer's thinking would be framed by like, I still know what this referencer is. And I know what this new requirement is as well, you know? Right. Well, I mean, it does 
cause their well i don't think i don't think the level of objectiveness changes um there may be, be there may be some unintended consequences that i'm not thinking of um and really the only reason to do this is just because of my uncomfortability with using semicolons R- right and to my thing about not all an- possible answers to a multiple answer are required i think if you change that and said they should they have to be i think the cons would be very small and very rare yeah um, true so i think and it would make a it would make a it would put it in the rule book something that i think everyone's already doing anyway <laughs> but <laughs> that's a good thing Let's see. We took a while out there on split multiple answers, which is great. So another thing about writing reference questions. If the answer is always the same answer, then I think it's a terrible question. So if the word of God appears a hundred times in the material and it never appears as the word of anything else, then I never want to see the word of whom written as a reference question. Because yeah, agreed. it tests it tests nothing. Um now if if the word of God appears a hundred times, but the word of man appears once, at that point, now I've obviously created a very weird hypothetical. But in that scenario, I would definitely write the word of man, the word of whom um, or what, as a reference question. I would probably write some of the word of God's as a reference question, but probably not all of them. And which ones I pick, I don't know, and I don't like what I'm saying. So I probably would just end up writing all 100. Um, But basically, reference questions are testing if the quizzer can differentiate between different occurrences of the same question, right? It's not valid as an interrogative, so we have to give you either the chapter or the chapter and the verse. And we want to see if you can know which one we're referring to once we give you that. Um, And if the answer is always the same, then I can never have any idea if you know the difference between them. Um, and so it's just not a good test. Yeah, I agree. And this is one example where my previous statement of like, I don't want to take into, into consideration anything else kind of starts to, well, I don't know. I don't want to take any into consideration the rest of the questions that when writing a question, I think I am totally cool with taking into account the rest of the material. So like, um, in that way, like, yeah, word of, of whom, uh, and it's always word of God. Uh, and there's, you know, six or whatever instances of it, then like, yeah, I wouldn't write that as a chapter reference or a chapter verse reference, um, because like, it's not, there's there's no point it's not really testing anything um and in the example that you gave i would probably write all of the valid questions because even though 99 of them would be one answer and one of them would be a different answer the one that is different is enough that makes the 99 valid in in to, to in terms of you know testing your knowledge and certainly you can guess and 99% of the time be correct and i'm i'm okay with that yeah um i think an interesting kind of challenge rule not for full quizzing but for maybe a practice or something would be if a reference question has only one thing that makes it valid, one other occurrence that makes it a valid reference question, then a quizzer has to state the other reason. Ooh, so right? Cuddy would Cuddy so like, would pl- applaud and call that a cross-reference question, right? Right. So it is it is basically a, a cross-reference question, um, but you might take it a step further and force the quizzer to provide both references in addition to the answers. Um, and not just the answers, right? Because isn't that a, what a cross-reference question is? You might say um, the shadow of what, and there's three answers across the material, and you just have to give the three answers, right? And oh, not I, where actually, they I thought, I thought, occur. I thought references were included. Um, I'll need to ask Cuddy. I thought I thought that was the idea. Was it? It's like three. I thought it was say some number more than one of a question and an answer that appears in multiple locations in the material. And I ask the question, you provide the answer and then you have to tell me it happens in a B and C locations. Oh, so the question and answer are the same in all of these. That was my understanding. Yeah. Cause what I was thinking of, like, let's say James one, the first verse of James says, remember God. And the last verse um, says, remember Jesus. And I ask, um, according to James 
um, chapter one, remember whom. To get it right, you have to just you have to say God, but then you also have to say the reference for the last verse of James and then Jesus. So yeah, I don't think rem- that's quite remember only a- occurs twice. So it's like it is a a sibling of a cross reference question, but maybe not the exact thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's re- certainly related, but yeah, I, I and then of course it's entirely possible that I am misremembering how cross references worked. But uh, yeah, I was thinking they were. It was a question and an answer that were the same, but they they happen multiple times. So there's actually part of the reason why I am actually, despite the fact that I like teasing Cuddy about cross reference questions. Um, I am actually not in favor of bringing cross-reference questions back is because there isn't usually enough material to make them valid enough for to be competitive. Uh, well, not competitive. To make them non-competitive? That's not the word I'm looking for. At higher quizzing levels, especially internationals, the cross-reference questions would be almost pre... would, would almost have to be pre-jumped to have... A, like, the, the, you would need almost nothing to be able to get them correct. Sure. Um, I'm going to try to speed up here because there's some really interesting points I would love to get to. So this next one is a weird case. So it's a question that is has no uniqueness in the first five words, but then is unique somewhere later in the question. Um, and this makes it invalid as any question type. So I'm reminded of, I think it's John, where every tree that does not appears twice. And in both cases, there's a wonderful multiple answer to be written. But in one case, I think it's every tree that does not bear good fruit is what, and then the other case is something slightly different, like every tree that does not um, bear good fruit has been what, or something slightly different. But to make it a multiple answer, you need those last few words in the question, and those last few words contain a unique phrase. So because the unique phrase exists, um, they're invalid as any sort of reference type, but they have no uniqueness in the first five words, so they're invalid as... Um, a non-reference type as well. Um, yeah, and I mean yeah. that's very interesting. How do you? I mean, not to go on another you know bird walk here, but um, how do you feel about the idea of of nuking the unique in the first five rule? I, I'm in favor of it, as we've talked before. Like question writers are not hunting for things that are either well, maybe they are, maybe they are unique quickly, but it's not like ooh, I'm limited to the first five words, so let me write questions that are only unique on the fifth word. I don't think anyone's doing that. And so if you removed it, it's not like you were going to say, ooh, I can make it unique on the 74th word now. Like at the end of the day, we're still just going to try to write a good question. <laughs> and right, exactly. I've looked at my question sets and um, the vast majority are unique within a, a couple syllables. So I'm switching a little bit. I'm using syllables instead of words. Um, but I would just be real hard pressed to write questions that are good that – are unique way later than that. Um, And I think if you relaxed the not unique in the first five, which I believe is probably in existence mainly for lack of technology years and years ago, but I think if you relax that, you still would be incumbent upon pretty good question writing um, because you might get some lazy question writing that is just unique super late, um, but also not great, um, which can't really be avoided currently, right? If um, people are lazy and not writing great questions and there's not editing or anything. But um, I think in general, it would be pretty fine to not have the unique in the first five. Um, Or another change is instead of saying there has to be a one, two, or three word unique phrase in the first five words, just say that the first five words have to be, um, which makes it one search that a question writer has to do to verify that it's valid and not what do we decide? Six potential searches to decide if it's valid. Right. Right. Um, but that, you know, that's small potatoes. So leads us to the next one, which is a question for both of us. How small of a word, word or phrase should be considered for use? Um, so like for reference, for single answer chapter verse reference questions, I hate writing like he, what, or I, what, or you, what as a question or be what, but I might do it if it was a multiple answer chapter verse reference. Um, It just seems too short and too insignificant to me. In general, I'm trying to write reference questions that are the most significant sounding material, but that happens to be a reference question. And I'm not trying to write – I don't usually make big effort at the other end of the significant wording scale um, to write a reference question. But I think we may differ. Well, not a ton. Um, I generally – 
prefer what you're talking about, but I will say there is a place in the canon for the he what's because, you know, especially if you're talking about like a, a if you're talking about a, a verse that starts with like, but he blah, 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 blah. And the blah, blah, blahs is a, a multiple answer non-split that goes to the end of the verse. A CVR of he what, a multiple answer chapter verse reference question, like, I would, I would, I would, I would cry if that wasn't written. Um, like I see great value in that because in effect, what you're doing is you're kind of almost turning the verse into a quote question in a sense, right? Um, slightly not, but like essentially the, the only way you're going to get it is to be able to have it at a quote level, although not necessarily word perfect, um, and to me, it's a it's a great additional different way of testing material knowledge. Like it's definitely harder, um, and I and you know it's definitely you know it's it's not easy. Um, it and it and it's bordering on you know quote type level difficulty, although not quite there, and kind of approaching a similar destination from a slightly different angle. And so I think there's some value to that type of question, but in general, yeah, like I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of it, um, on its own. Sure. And then I think you might've put this in here. Like what's the difference or what do I think the difference is between a, a potential reference question of the what and another one of I am what, um, and I just think the latter I am what is less awkward. And so I would definitely write it. Whereas the, the first one feels like we're just kind of in jumping in just in the middle of somebody talking and of, and then we get the question of the what. Um, and so I think level of awkwardness is what I would go to for that one. Yeah, I agree. I, 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 I would describe it as being too clever by half. Um, the, there are question writers that try to be too clever in coming up with a way to write a question. And it's like, I I feel like we don't need to do that. There is plenty of material. There's plenty of opportunities to write really good questions without having to be clever. And of the what is not, it's not tricky or misleading. It's obviously very valid. Uh, well, I'm assuming we're, we're saying that it's valid, right? Um, right. But like, it's, yeah, it, it's a little awkward. Um, not awkward enough where I would entertain a challenge on it at all. Um, but it's like, there's no reason I need to write it. Like as a writer, there's, there's so many other opportunities to write the I am what. And so if I have, you know, a one, an opportunity to write of the what and an opportunity to write, I am what I'm, and I, and I have to choose one of the two, I'm going to write the, I am what it is a better question. It flows more easily. It, it's less clever. Right. Um, and I'm not going to feel bad about not writing of the what, because I have plenty of questions that test all of the material if I don't write the of the what questions. Right. Um, I'm trying to find a really long one. Um, so like from Matthew, some of my longest CVRs were, it is better for you to enter life how or who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? If you are the son of God, what? Take the child and his mother and what? What was said to the people long ago? Um, and I think all of those flow pretty well. Um, I didn't really have a point, but okay. So these last two topics, so now we're getting, we've, we're moving past question writing and into quiz mastering and how quiz masters are supposed to deal with reference questions. And I think both of these bullets might take us a while. Do we have time for both or should we start with one? Let's give it a try. Let's give it a try. So the first one is, how much do we want the quizzer-provided interrogative word to matter on a reference question? Yeah, so I'll tell you what I want, right? Which is not necessarily what's in the rule book, and Jeremy will probably throw something at me. Um, but I want the quizzer-provided interrogative word to not matter at all, with the exception of something that is, I don't know, super dumb, <laughs> right? Um like, you know, James 1, 1, James, a what, right? Um, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Multiple answer question. Um, and, uh, instead of James, a what somebody says, James, a who, right? I'm like, yeah, it's a little awkward, but I'm totally fine with it. Right. But if they go James, a when, 
then I'm like, okay, I can't squint to turn. I can't squint and turn servant of God and the Lord Jesus and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't squint and turn that into a win. Right. So like, to me, it's like, I kind of don't want the interrogative word to matter that much unless it's really egregiously painfully wrong. Right. And I totally agree. Like when a quizzer gives me, uh, provides me a reference question, I am trying to find a way to count them right. Like I'm not saying like, oh, there's a better interrogative word to use. I'm just saying like, do I think the one that you used is acceptable? And the problem here is that when we're writing questions, oftentimes our, our choice of interrogative word changes what the question text is going to be. And because of that, if you're providing a reference question, we kind of have to evaluate if you've changed what the question text is, um, which is my main reason for calling a quizzer wrong when everything else about their question provided was correct, but the interrogative word was not. It's not because the interrogative word didn't match what I have. Um, it's it's because of its implications for what is now the required answer text. And sometimes that's clear, more clear, and sometimes that's less clear. But I don't really know a way around it unless we're just making a giant rule of whatever the quizzer provides as the interrogative word is ignored, which is, in essence, they don't have to provide one, right? Um, well, I really kind of... I- I, I don't know that we have to necessarily go that far, right? Like, so I'm, the whole time you're talking, I'm nodding my head until you got to the very last phrase, right? Um, I think we could write a rule that says, I mean, we'd have to write it very, very carefully so to avoid un- unintended, unintended consequences. But like, you could say the quizzer provided interrogative word is you know, many forms are acceptable provided that they, they can at least rationally make some level of sense in context of the answer and, uh, uh, and the, and the verse itself, something like that. Right. So like, uh, a who or uh, a what, uh, is perfectly fine for my James one, one example, but a win just like, doesn't make any sense. It just, it can't, it can't fit in there or like a how it's like, no, how just doesn't work. Right. Um, so in that regard, like, yeah, it, it makes a difference. And so it, this more matters more for a, say a reference question, like a chapter verse reference question. So I think, you know, if you change the interrogative words such that it actually would require, it would evoke a different, uh, set of information from the, from the, from the verse, then yeah, I think the quizzer has to be incorrect. Right. But I think, that's, I mean, I would be fine with more language in the rulebook, but I think that's basically how I see Quizmasters rule now. Is there? I, th- there I think just... it is. I, I think it is how Quizmasters generally rule right now. But there are Quizmasters who are the exception, who actually, if you provide a even slightly not exactly what is on the card, they count you incorrect. I and I, th- I think that's too harsh. I agree. I haven't really encountered that, but I wonder if it might be a Quizmaster just not really confident in their own ability to judge that nuance and it's just saying like if it doesn't match the card i'm just going to default to this um i don't know if it's a confidence thing in the in the it doesn't happen very often but in the cases that i have i have seen that or experienced it heard it i guess whatever um experienced that happen i think it's more that the quiz master feels that they they must accept exactly the interrogative word um that they feel that it they must be that precise in the, in their rule. And I don't ah, believe so that they're that's just, true. they're just incorrect. Right. I believe they have a different interpretation of the level of, of precision that is required for the interrogative word. Um, and so like, for me, I think, I think the rule book should have, you know, a, a, some sort of comment in there to clear it up. Now we have to be very, very careful about that comment because if we don't, if we're not careful with the comment, we can have all kinds of terrible uh, consequences from it. But I think we could come up with the right words for that. Right. And then the last one. So this is um, what I'm calling the sliding scale for both incorrect information, and that's in quotes, incorrect information, because that's right from the rule book, and also sliding scale for out of context, also from the rule book. Um, what I'm, I'm calling them the sliding scale for these thresholds when comparing interrogatives to chapter references to chapter verse references. And what I mean is that I don't think, so incorrect information is not defined in the rule book, right? Like what is the level of thing that a quizzer can say that should be deemed incorrect um, and stop them able to answer. Similarly, 
the rulebook doesn't say specifically like what what is enough for a quizzer to say that's out of context. It does to take them out of context. It does say that it can't just be one word, um, but it doesn't say if it's three words or seven words or some level of significance, right? And so because of this, I think that there is a sliding scale for for incorrect information and out of context, and there has to be. Because interrogatives and CRs and CVRs are completely different types testing different things with entirely different scopes. So when I ask you an interrogative and it's like um, Peter, James, and who, if you say the person, well, I mean, if I know the answer is John, you said the person, I don't think you're incorrect. I, I kind of want you to give me the exact proper noun that I'm looking for, but I don't think you're incorrect. Now, if the CRs, if there's a chapter reference, which is Peter, James, and who, and in one chapter it's John, and in another chapter it's James, uh, or in one chapter it's John, and in another chapter it's a person, and you give me one versus the other, it doesn't matter to me that if this were an interrogative, I would say, well, person's not wrong. In this case, it's literally the other occurrence of this CR, like why this one's a chapter reference, and you gave me that other occurrence. So even if I know John's a person, I'm going to count you wrong for saying person because it exists in that other spot. And so I would rule you incorrect. Um, I could say for giving incorrect information, I would more specifically rule in this one for going out of context. What would you uh, think about that? But you can't do that for a single word. Um, I would rule you gave me three words. Or, or, Actually, or four. Three words. Peter, James, and person. Oh, uh, see, yeah, and see, we we have a disagreement on that. Um, to to right. me, person is now a person is two words, so I think you could do it there. But if you just said, you know, Peter, James, and person, right? <laughs> Which of course sure, is not going to sure. happen. But let, let's say let's say the quizzer somehow managed not to say uh, right? Um, then. I, I, I don't think you can, because I think that, I mean, I'm, and I know we have a difference of opinion here where you're like, no, they actually provided me s multiple words. And that caught, that was a phrase that put them out of context. And to me, I'm like, they provided you multiple words, but only one word put them out of context. And you can't put a quizzer out of context with one word, according to the rule. Now, I am very, very happy to eliminate that rule. I've, I've, I've never really been a fan of that rule. I'm just saying with the rule there, I don't think I can rule the same way that you, you're ruling. Sure. Let's say that's off the table. Uh, well, what exactly? So let's say the like a single word can't take you out of context is not a rule. It just doesn't exist. Uh -huh. right, what, would right, you, okay. what would you then think about the fact that saying person when the answer is John, when it's an interrogative, I would say, you can continue answering. I'll wait for you to get to John. But if it's a CR and you say person and I need John, I'm going to call you wrong because person exists elsewhere. If I would, Peter James and, I, and I, a person I, didn't exist elsewhere, I would just let you continue answering because I don't think you've got sure. out of context. I am okay with that provided additional rules language is added to the rule book to make that the case. I don't think the way the rule book is written right now, I can I can get there. I am So in other words, I'm totally comfortable with that being the way we do things. I'm totally comfortable with rules being that way and having the difference between interrogative and CVR in that way or, or reference in, in that way. But I don't think the rule book as is gets us there. And I think, I think it's, it's critically important that we like read the rule book as it is um, and not add interpretations to it, right? And so, like, I, I would want to make that much more abundantly clear because I don't want... Because the, the goal, right? The goal of the rule book is somebody, you know, in Timbuktu and somebody in Topeka, Kansas, they they have zero quizzing experience. They both pick up the rule book, they start reading it, and then they go to Quizmaster a meet at, at internationals, <laughs> which is never going to happen. I get it. But let, let's say both of them study the rule book and have it perfectly memorized. And then they both go to internationals and our quiz masters. I want them to rule the same way at internationals. And the only way that we can do that is to ensure that the rule book is clear, objective, consistent, um, all of those kind of good things. Right. I think this would be a good place for it. Cause actually, now that I'm talking about it, I don't think it's really a sliding scale for incorrect information. I think it's, um, a sliding scale for out of context. Um, because in my example, I'm not saying that person is incorrect for that chapter reference, but I'm I am saying that it takes you out of context, or it should take you out of context. Um, and that goes beyond the fact that 
context for a chapter verse reference is just one verse, and for a CR it's five verses, and for an interrogative it's the whole mat- is five verses up or down. Um, it's that I think the differing scopes of those questions mean that what takes you out of context is also differing um, because of yeah, what, and what I, you're I, comparing it to. Yeah, and I'm I'm generally in favor of your point of view on this one. I would need to think through very critically about the the any sort of unintended consequences of doing this sort of scale of context based on question type. In, and I think it's mostly around the burden on the quiz master slash, an, slash answer judge in the moment. I would have to think through how that would work and, and what are some bad things that could happen as a result of it. But generally I am in favor of moving that in that direction. But again, it, it just from, from my perspective, it, it has to be objectively in the rule book or I can't get there. Right. And so it could be that one case it talks about the good, um, the good, uh, what's a person or the good man. Um, sorry, those two, the good person, the good man. And you really would have a hard time saying the quizzer went out of context if they said the wrong one first. Um, that could be a case for just not writing it as a question writer. Cause I've definitely written not written questions because I didn't think that they would actually serve a very good test. Um, so that could be one way. This is actually reminding me of a completely unrelated question. So I don't like writing interrogative questions or really any type of question where a single pronoun is the answer. A single unclarified pronoun is the answer. Like us, them, you, me. Um, how much do you think a quizmaster should evaluate what that pronoun would that you are being given by the quizzer means in context? Because sometimes, like absolutely, absolutely zero. Like you're, so you're, you're I, saying now. Should the should the question writer evaluate it like a hundred thousand times? Yes. Should the quiz master zero? So if the answer is them and the quizzer says us, you don't think you should be evaluating whether that would be incorrect? Oh 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 oh. Sorry, I thought you meant like in terms of like tossing the question or or changing the question or something no, no, like no, that. No 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 um, no. Not tossing the questions. So like it like oftentimes, especially when we're talking about Jews and Gentiles, the difference between them and us is night and day right in meaning sure. right but sometimes a quizzer is just like mistakenly quoting and they're not like meaning to to give you this thing that means completely the opposite and it's just like a pronoun that we're also not asking you to clarify um and may not be clarifiable Could at you all g- give me give me an example give me something that I, i'm uh, give, give me a scenario maybe that'll make it easier for me so like let's say god did not this is kind of negative, depending on your theology. But like, God did not come to save them; he came to save them. He came to save us. And he, the interrogative is, he came to save whom? And the quizzer says, he, "Them." Do you think they're just wrong, like right there? Yeah, I think they're wrong. I think they're wrong just there. Um, what if you know? What if it's referring to Jesus, but not clarified in context? And it's like he came to save us, and the quizzer said something like, "We came to save us," or "They came to save us." Do you think they're just wrong? Yeah, they're just wrong. Okay. I mean, I think I would agree, but it's just it's it's given me lots and lots of angst when they give either the different um, I you he she it or we you they, uh, you know, which often imply a completely different person that we're talking about. And I'm like, I don't. Right. It feels like the smallest amount of thing to call you wrong. It's not like getting a proper noun wrong, uh, but I also don't think you can continue answering. <laughs> Right. I mean, this is the thing. I don't want to count them wrong. I always want to count the quizzer correct. But the the thing is, it's unfair to count them correct or to give them an opportunity to correct. Um, you know, the, the it's unfair to the other quizzers, right, um, who are sitting there. And so it, it feels harsh, but I think we have to be objective about it. Yep. And I think that'll sum up our episode great is this is what I have impressed upon people when they think a rule is too harsh or it's it's mean to this one quizzer. If we're not applying it equally across the board, like it's it might be more lenient to this single quizzer, um, but it's actually um, like rude to do that to every other quizzer that's competing. Um, and that's and I think that's a, a different way of thinking about how you should be ruling as an official, right? Because you want to like give the quizzer the benefit of the doubt and like do whatever I can to count them right. But like at the end of the day, you have to apply just what the rule book says as consistently as you can, because um, nothing happens in a vacuum. Like you're, if you're calling someone right in a way that the rule book doesn't say, you have actually done a disservice to everyone else who's. Yeah, that's absolutely true. 
And on that bombshell, I think we will wrap up the episode. If you have, uh, you know, any sort of comments, questions, concerns, nagging doubts, fears, paranoia about anything that we've discussed on this episode 104, please email us at iq at cbqz.org. And if you disagree with anything, however tiny, we really, 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 really want you to email us at iq at cbqz.org. Uh, anybody who disagrees, their their disagreements get front of line privileges uh, when we discuss them and respond to them uh, in future episodes. You can follow us, and you should on Twitter. Our account is at Inside Quizzing, and if you are on the Bible Quizzing Slack forum, you can chat with us in kind of almost real time on the Inside Quizzing channel. And with that, I will say thank you all for listening, and thank you, Scott. Thanks very much, Griffin, and thanks everybody for listening. 